I see the future that's within our grasp. From the Political Science Department at UW-Madison. Democracy is not a prophecy, it's self-actuating. I'm Claire Salmi. I'm Cole Wozniak. And I'm Fiona Hatch. This is more work than in my previous life. I thought it would be easier. This is 1050 Bascom. Today on 1050 Bascom, we're so excited to welcome Joseph Yoon, edible insect ambassador and founder of the organization Brooklyn Bugs. Joseph is a world-renowned chef and thought leader in entomophagy, or eating insects, and tours around the world to share the potential of edible insects and insect agriculture to address challenges of food security, climate change, and sustainability. Joseph and his organization have been featured by dozens of publications and media outlets, including the New York Times, Forbes, NPR, Food and Wine, Reuters, BBC, and more. He's also served as chef advocate for the United Nations International Fund for Agricultural Development, and he attended the UN Climate Change Conference in 2022 as a representative. Today we'll talk to Joseph about his path to founding Brooklyn Bugs, his experience at COP27, the potential for insect agriculture to address the climate crisis, and why people should consider eating more bugs. We've got a lot to cover today, so let's jump right in. First of all, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you so much. It's really so nice to be here. I really appreciate your interest in what I'm doing. So since this is the first time we've had you on the podcast, let's start with talking a little bit about you and your background and kind of how you have gotten yourself to this point in your career as an edible insect ambassador. We're curious about what kind of set you on this pathway toward this area of work. Did you study insects in college or did this passion emerge later in life? How did the interest build? Well, this is a really big question to unpack. And I started my life uh, as an entrepreneur, small business person. And I was so happy to be able to follow the passions in my life. Uh, first, I when I graduated college, I bought a one-way ticket to Europe playing music on my saxophone. So I was able to kind of live the dream. And I followed that up by starting an artist management company. And so working in the music industry. Um, and so as you can see, nothing has to do with cooking or with insects yet. And I ended up, I, I've always had a big passion for cooking in my life. I would be the only male in a Korean kitchen. Um, and my at first, my family would look at me and go like, a, my mom, my grandma, my aunt, like, oh, you want to cook something? How about this little side dish? And then I would kind of start proving <laughs> my culinary acumen and they'd invite me to cook some bigger dishes. But um, I started cooking in 2011. I started hosting these pop-ups and started working as a private chef. And it was really following my heart and passion. And I'm so grateful that I had these opportunities working in the music industry, then starting to cook and really putting in the time to learn how to cook. I spent a lot of time training with chefs and seeing how they operate a kitchen and these events and how to do food beyond home cooking. And I'm so happy that I was able to pursue a career as a private chef and, and as a caterer. In 2017, I was asked to cook for an art project. And I said yes, because I was really interested in uh, really all the things. I have a really curious nature and my heart is full of curiosity and wonder. And so when given an opportunity to cook with insects, I was like, oh, yeah, let me see what this is about. And when I did a little bit of research, I saw the UN's FAO, the Food and Agricultural Organization, they should have report edible insects, future prospects for food and feed security. 
And to connect my work as a chef with issues around food security, food justice, sustainability, and environmentalism, that really incredibly motivated and inspired me. And as things really started developing and I started gaining a, a great deal of interest from these institutions and universities and museums that I just like tremendous respect for, it gave me such a great purpose and drive. And so once I started in, at Brooklyn Boggs in 2017, um, that's really been the primary focus of, of all my work. And um, the reason why I didn't just focus on cooking insects as like a chef and decided to call myself an edible insect ambassador was that I felt like we needed somebody that can be entirely inclusive and transparent and not be like, this is my secret cicada recipe, but be like, hey, I'm trying to share this information and be a part of building an inclusive community of knowledge, of tapping into ancient future knowledge, where this is like an indigenous practice that, I mean, humans have historically been eating insects since the beginning of human evolution. And to be able to take these things, amplify indigenous knowledge when I go places and I travel, and they've been eating this for generations, for millennia, and to be able to amplify their life mission and really their resistance and struggles that they might have and the beauty of their life, you know, just everything, these life stories, what an incredible blessing and uh, something that really continues to motivate and inspire me. That's a really unique background. That's fascinating. As an insect ambassador, we know that that's led you to attend some really important events and conferences, one of them being COP27 last year, where you acted as chief advocate for the United Nations International Fund for Agricultural Development. We were wondering if you could tell us what it was like being a representative there and working with politicians at that international level. Yeah, one thing that I like to distinguish is that it's an edible insect ambassador, which is very important because there are a lot of people that that represent the science of entomology and insects. Um, and so for me, it was such a humbling experience to be the chef advocate for EFAT, the International Fund for Agricultural Development. And it gave me access to the Blue Diplomatic Zone. And so how incredible, what an experience to go around COP27 in the Blue Diplomatic Zone and introduce myself as a chef advocate for EFAD. And when people are like, oh, so what are you talking about? Because I was invited to three panels and one presentation. And so how incredible to be able to introduce so many people to insect agriculture. And for the majority of people there, they had never heard of those two words put together. They think of insects as something as a vector against like good agricultural practices or something that's a pest. And to be able to redefine this notion, to be able to capture people's imagination through this idea of eating insects and people at COP27 and, and in the United Nations at these conferences, they're, they're going to be a little more aware of the idea of eating insects as a sustainable practice. And so that idea is, is like, I think a lot of people know that that's kind of eaten around the world. There are billions of people that rely on insects for their regular uh, their regular diets. But when I started telling them about the potential and innovation behind insect agriculture, they kind of like opened their eyes a little bit. They're like, oh, what is that, chef? I don't know what that is. And to be able to talk about 
us passing policy and legislation in America and the EU to use edible insects for animal feed and for pet food, we can really mitigate so much of the greenhouse gas emissions that we use on our agricultural lands for farming soy and feed, animal feed, or by deforestation in the Amazon to use for growing soy that we then ship up to the Midwest for our livestock. But what if we were able to create these farms closer, these insect farms that are more nutrient dense than this soy? Sustainable, more nutrient dense. We're seeing that the, the, the data right now is that the animals are gonna be healthier, but also for the chickens that are eating them, the eggs are also more nutritious when they're eating insects as well. We also have the potential of insect frass, which is their excrement, being used as a tremendously efficient organic fertilizer. We can mitigate the chemicals in our waste streams from traditional fertilizers and use this organic fertilizer. The plants also detect animals, insects, and so it bolsters their immune system as well. Then we also have the potential of insect organic waste management. We have black soldier flies and mealworms and different insects that are able to eat organic waste and different types of waste from restaurant scraps to brewer's yeast to, to beer uh, breweries and like so many opportunities for us to create a regenerative circular ag system. And also to talk about workforce activation. We can create so many jobs for college students and for people that are interested in food systems and in insects. We need every single academic discipline to get involved with insect agriculture. So I love to welcome everyone with this big open arms and like really share and blast off about this tremendous potential. And really we are cultivating innovation and welcome all of you who may be listening with like open arms. So these are just like some of the ideas that I love sharing with policymakers. Were the people that you were speaking with at COP27, the policymakers and other representatives that were there, did they seem receptive to the idea of eating more bugs themselves? Absolutely. And I think that for a lot of people, the more you know, hashtag, the more you know, it helps to remove the alienness or like the otherworldliness or the unfamiliarity. And when people discover and begin to talk about edible insects, as food, not as like a sensational thing where they hear about, oh, there are people in developing countries are eating that. And, you know, they, they relegate to like maybe the apocalypse or something. Maybe, yeah, we could eat bugs in the apocalypse or something. But one of the really big lessons, I think, is bringing the dignity to how people around the world eat. Can we show some respect to people around the world that eat insects instead of making them feel inferior or that it, it's a lack of dignity to eat that. And I feel like there's an opportunity to share these lessons everywhere we go for people to see the bigger picture and that you could tell I'm, I'm very passionate about this, but I hope I never feel like it's politically driven or that it's like, you know, if I were just talking at you guys, it would be propaganda. But what I like to offer is hey, these are some options for you to consider and a way to add something and diversify your diet with something that's nutrient dense and delicious and sustainable. And so I think that's like a really big distinction with the work I have is that I'm not just trying to convert everyone to eat insects. I just want people to have an open mind 
And it's so important to give people the option to want to make this decision themselves instead of feel like they're being forced to have to do something. And so I think that just sharing these sort of ideas with policymakers instead of saying, the world is ending, we need sustainable protein sources, and we have to, you know, it, it's just too much. It's too much dogma. And so one of the things that I love that truly connected me with EFAD is that their narratives and their work in helping the small stakeholder farmers and going to the areas of greatest need, that really resonates with me. But one of the things that also connects with me is that we're not sharing these stories of building resilient, regenerative solutions in agriculture through the prism of catastrophe, but through like great hope and optimism, working collaboratively, and the importance that if we forget and overlook the small farmholders, we are all going to be doomed. I mean, that, well, that's like a lot of human good, but we need to really celebrate the small farmers that allow for us to, to really be successful in the big picture. And I think that's that's really one of the big things, the story of true hope and optimism and being able to, to really focus on how we can help, the importance of helping everybody and really that by helping the people that may be affected the most by climate change, are the ones causing it the least as well. And so like just really being able to think of solutions and being better stewards for the environment and for future generations. Absolutely. Yeah. I love the angle that you take being more of an optimist than a pessimist. Just to kind of back up big picture here. So for people who aren't as familiar with the role of insect eating as a sustainable practice, you know, there's so many different propositions happening at COP27 or any other type of similar conference. How does insect eating kind of fit into the jigsaw of sustainable practices that people are proposing that could help us in the future? Well, there's a few things that allow for us to integrate edible insects into our food system and really psychology that really help us not only to mitigate and be able to help, but create solutions. And one of the really big things is that one of the biggest ways that we could reduce our carbon footprint is to eat less meat. That really surprised me. It's not like, let me not drive my vehicle or something. It's like one of the biggest impacts I can make in reducing my carbon footprint by eating less, particularly red meat. And so one of the things that I think really connects me to that idea is that we're not trying to take away your meat. And I think that people, when they hear that, they think, oh, they want to take away our meat. But it's like, no, we could think about substitution and addition. And so it's it's not realistic to think, oh, let's take away people's meat. You should still enjoy your meat if that's what you enjoy. For me, I started drastically reducing my meat intake. And understanding how these small lifestyle choices that we make of what we eat can have such a bigger impact. And like also just not, not to overlook the fact that like the work that we do and how we live our lives affects our friends and people around us and go like, oh, wow, Fiona and Claire, they decided to eat less meat one day a week. And oh, they're eating bugs. Why Why is that? These like great learning opportunities. Those are really important things that connect these ideas of learning about new ideas. Practices that people have been doing for like thousands of years that somehow we think that it's not a good idea. Why? And so beyond like there's so much by way of science papers and white papers, peer-reviewed science papers that talk about the sustainability of edible insects. 
They take far fewer resources by way of water, land, and feed than traditional livestock. Their feed to food conversion is also really good. They emit far fewer greenhouse gas emissions. There are so many positive things that make them a positive, smart, sustainable, and delicious food source. And so a lot of that, I, you know, I, I feel like that could be like an entire hour to talk about that. But one of the things that excites me is that, wow, there, all those resources are available. So we can talk about really a lot of different layers of, of this beyond just the science. And uh, for those that are interested, the FAO report, uh, Edible Insects, Future Prospects for Food and Feed Security is available online. And it, it was downloaded like 7.5 million times last time I checked. So um, yeah, a great fun read. That's great. It's really fun to hear about the not only the scientific aspect, but also the cultural shift that we're seeing with um, related to eating insects. I'm wondering, is there any policy being proposed? So looking at the politics of it at the national or international levels um, related to this that you're watching right now or that you would support? Yeah, it's really on a national level. There are trade associations now that are on each continent, well, not not in Antarctica, but but on the different continents, and also uh, a global one where we're trying to understand the role of insects in agriculture. Um, in America, the FDA deems something as food safe for humans if it's reared for the purpose of human consumption, if it's processed at an FDA-approved facility, and the scientific name is also on the labeling. So for all these cricket farmers in America or other farms where they're processing insects, they are deemed as food if they meet these requirements. But does that give confidence in the large purveyor? Like they might need more security, like more laws in place, more legislation that protects them so that specific species of insects are named so that all of a sudden they can't have some law that like doesn't allow them to, to utilize a certain insect or something. So there, there's a tremendous growth. One of the largest areas of growth, though, is in uh, animal feed and pet food. Um, to see the growth in those areas and the the policy that that's being passed around those areas. And anytime you have a newer industry, a fledgling industry, taking money out of the pie from the USDA for incentives and grants and for research, other areas will certainly feel threatened. And to us, the pie is big enough, like, let's find solutions. So we, we've definitely met some resistance in the past where legislators want to prohibit the USDA from funding any sort of insect agriculture. And we're, we were collectively able to stop that from passing. Uh, but there, there are certainly going to be challenges that we face. And we're historically at a point where the world has never collectively spoken more about eating insects. And that to me is like so fascinating. And then beyond that, we get to the layer of insect agriculture where we're talking about it for animal feed, for the frass and organic waste management. And we haven't even talked about the pharmaceutical and therapeutic potential with chitin and the biomimicry that we're using. You know, it, there's so much exciting growth that it's really only a matter of time. And I, I like to see more legislation that's passed 
thank you guys for your interest in in sharing the work that I'm doing and and the work that we're doing as an industry. Because the more people hear about it, the more familiar they are. It allows for them to go like, oh yeah, I heard about that. I saw Claire eating some insects before, and you know these sort of things allow for people to become more familiar and go, oh, maybe I am ready to try some insects that presented to me. So yeah, it's it's been really interesting to see the growth and also like what that leads as far as like policy and legislation as well. Yeah, I would expect that there's only going to be more. It seems like you being at COP27 is a pretty good indicator of that. So very cool. I wanted to kind of circle back to something you had briefly mentioned, which was people's kind of baseline association with insect eating and poorer countries or poorer groups of people and how development is tied often to the idea of insect eating. So do you think about the difference between promoting insect eating in rural areas and or poorer countries versus in a comparatively wealthier metropolitan area like New York City where you live? And how are those two things different? Because I know that you go to both types of places in the course of your work. Yeah, I think that the challenge of the question you pose is that we have to think about things not in a linear path of like, this is the way for rural growth, metropolitan growth, or at this time. And it's really thinking about things in terms of calculus. And there's so many factors in trying to really help transform the perception of edible insects on a global scale. And so I think that it requires a different approach for the different sort of areas. And so I I think that if we just try to put a one size fits all solution, I think that's where you start seeing a lot of problematic ways of coming up with solutions And so for me, I think that in smaller groups, in smaller rural areas, one thing that I found is that countries and areas that have enjoyed insects historically may not enjoy them as much because of modernization, globalization, where they see like, oh, people around the world aren't necessarily eating insects and we want to become more westernized, maybe or modernized. And so for me, I love to celebrate their culture and demonstrate the joy and respect that we can have for what they do. In metropolitan areas, I think it's really eating is among the most personal things that we can do every day. I mean, we're literally going to put something in our mouths and it's going to go through our body. And so I have to have a great respect for people and what they eat. I can't just go like, oh, you don't want to eat this and try to guilt people into like guilting people into eating something is like the lowest form, I think, of of trying to get towards great acceptance. And so that's why it goes back again into just finding ways to communicate, knowing who your audience is. What does the future of food sustainability look like? Like, could insect agriculture actually replace the really large scale uh, meat factory or meat farming industry, both in terms of could it feasibly do that? And also, do you think that we could get to a point culturally where we could shift from the meat industry? That's a big question to unpack. And I think the important thing to consider is that we're not trying to replace the meat industry. We're trying to work parallel with the meat industry because it'd be unreasonable to think that we're going to take away beef and pork from everyone's diet. But can we work parallel and provide another sustainable nutrient-dense food source? A hundred percent. 
yes. And it's like when you ask questions about sustainability and and just like food security, for me, one of the things that is like so important is really thinking about in food security, you have to think about food justice, the equity, availability, the health and nutrition of food being accessible to the people that need it the most. For us to think about food systems, to think about not just the profit. And so this might sound a little utopian, maybe like just like, oh, that sounds like a perfect world. But I think that when we think about this, it would behoove us not to think about how do we create better food systems, minimize all the waste that we are creating. That's really the thing is that when we talk about food security and sustainability and food justice, I think that we need some radical changes and some thinking in like paradigm shifts that allow for us to think in terms of equity and like really being able to to have this food more available. And so, yeah, I, I think this is like a really big question to, to unpack. And I think that in terms of edible insects being a part of this food system, one of the things that I love the most about it is that it kind of like really piques people's curiosity. They're like, edible insects? Wait a minute, really? And it gives us even a moment to be able to connect with these bigger issues. That's why I've always felt like my work around edible insects is so much bigger than just eating insects or me or Brooklyn Bugs, because like we're able to really work with institutions and organizations that make an impact in the areas of greatest need around the world, around food security and sustainability. And so that really, I think, is like important in how we're going to come up with solutions for for uh, creating better, more efficient and sustainable food systems. I'm going to pivot now to talking a little bit about more specific projects and specific press that you've done. So we know that you recently did a segment on edible insects for Tucker Carlson's show, among many other press related activities that you have in a given week. Would you be able to talk us through kind of your thinking about going on that show and why you felt that audience was important to reach? I know that that was a a decision that you maybe grappled with, if briefly. Well, I think that there's NPR just put out a a piece about all the conspiracies against eating insects. And there's a lot of material online where a lot of conspiracy theorists think that the WF, the World Economic Forum, and countries are putting a mandate to take away your meat and keep meat for the rich people and feed insects to the poor people. Um, And this is absurd. And for me, the decision to appear in all sorts of press, I think it's just really important. Knowing that in the past, uh, Tucker and his medical correspondent spoke very poorly about eating insects. And to me, it's like really important to be able to go where people disagree with me. Like I feel tremendously blessed to have so much support from different media and universities and institutions that amplify my work and collectively as an industry. But in order for us to be successful, we have to go and engage in conversation where people disagree with us. It it was part of a documentary series that Fox is doing. And what's really interesting for me is that 
we had a lot of people there who reacted towards the conspiracy about eating insects and were very vocal about it to me in the green room. And I love that instead of feeling triggered or defensive, I was like, hey guys, I'm just trying to give you guys a clean, nutrient dense, sustainable and smart protein source that could be prepared deliciously. I'm not trying to force this on any of you guys. And you know, I'm not trying to make this political either. I, I want eating and food justice to be apolitical. Like we should all be able to access healthy, nutritious food. And a lot of the people that were in the green room, the other guests on the documentary series, um, they were like, the irony of coming to Fox News and eating edible insects for the first time with you, chef. And I love these learning moments where my personal political beliefs are irrelevant to appearing on Tucker Carlson. Going back to the idea that this is so much bigger than eating insects or Brooklyn bugs, like there are much more important things that I feel that for me, that made it a no brainer for me to be able to appear on the show. And I don't know how they're gonna edit the piece, whatever it is, but ultimately there's gonna be all sorts of media that's interested in, in the growth of insect agriculture and edible insects. You know, it's important for us to share this work and uh, be a part of that, you know, no matter what their political views may be. We also wanted to ask a little bit about uh, what your travel itinerary looks like uh, over this upcoming year. Do you wanna tell us a little bit about um, your involvement with projects in other countries around the world? I, you know, I'm, I'm just really so excited because I am continuing with like college tour dates around America. Um, I'm also really so honored the American Culinary Federation, the ACF. It's the largest trade association for chefs in America and North America. They invited me to uh, speak at their annual convention. And I'm also going to be going to Thailand, Afia, the Asian Insect uh, Food and Feed Association, they have a, a conference that they invited me to come as a speaker and, and as a culinary director for that. And so just like really amazing to continue finding new areas to share the work. Um, I'm the culinary advisor to the Methuselah Foundation in support of NASA's Deep Space Food Challenge. And so we have a big event coming up in May around um, for the phase two winners of that challenge. And so um, it's just really exciting. I feel so grateful. There's some museum gigs coming up this summer. And and, it, and it's just really been amazing to find all this continued interest and support in the way that we're, we're sharing our work. And it's uh, really just something I'm, I'm, I love to share the gratitude I feel as a result of this. And I think a lot of times people don't want to express their thanks or, or like really share in like the beautiful victories or these things that happen in life. And I, I think it's really important. As we're kind of starting to wrap up here, we're going to have you field some more questions about how college students can access insect eating and you could give us some recipe recommendations. But before that, okay. do you have anything that we haven't talked about yet that you would like our audience to hear or any important point of wisdom that you'd like to share before we kind of jump into some more lighthearted questions? Sure. If you were to eat edible insects just once a week, even that would have a tremendous impact on the environment. We're working on a curriculum right now that was partnered with the U.S. Department of Education. It's a modular curriculum for third to fifth graders. And it's really so important to work with children at a younger age before they develop cultural stigmas 
And we're also doing things with the New York State Department of Education. So it's really awesome to, to be able to start sharing this with kids at a younger age. Wow, that's so interesting. A couple of more rapid fire questions, but they're okay. actually rapid fire. So how can someone in Wisconsin or in the Midwest right now on a student budget access more information on eating insects and what would be an approachable first dish to kind of try if someone listening is like, oh my gosh, I've never even considered incorporating insects at all. Well, I would really encourage you guys to follow Brooklyn Bogs. They share a lot of different dishes. There's also a stores available on Brooklyn Bogs, but also on uh, edibleinsects.com or entomofarms.com or Three Cricketeers. Uh, there are vendors that I love to work with and that have products that are readily available. And I think that the best way to think about the first dish, if you want to get involved and try your hand at a dish, is what is your wheelhouse favorite dish to make? You got a party of, you got your friends coming over. You're like, this is my go-to dish. I can crush mac and cheese. Great. Then, then think about how you can bugify a mac and cheese or a lasagna or, you know, and so for me, I like to think about dishes that we already make and how we can bu bugify them. And so if you're making like a cheese sauce, you could add the cricket powder to your cheese sauce and it'll add this like really distinct je ne sais quoi that will like leave your diners reveling with like this, this nuanced flavor in your mac and cheese. If you're making a marinara sauce, you can add cricket powder to that to add again, that little depth of flavor and that umami that you might not be expecting. If you're making fried rice, you can like add the roasted crickets in there. Um, and I, I like to say that the only thing that uh, limits us with cooking with edible insects is our own imagination. And so I basically love to cook every single dish, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, and late night snacks, and every single cuisine that I ever cook, American, Korean, and Italian, I like to bugify all those dishes and think about how I can incorporate some type of insect protein into those dishes. One of our last questions here, we actually wanted to ask, what's your personal favorite dish to cook for yourself? And how did you bugify that? Um, you know, to be honest with you, as an artist, as a chef, as someone who's like inspired by walking in the field and foraging greens, going to the grocery store, seeing what's in season and what looks the best. I mean, for me, that is really what I truly love. And what's my favorite dish is like, what, what's in front of me? What did I just make? And, and I know that's not like a, that's not the answer you guys want, but really, truly, I like to encourage people to think locally and to really think seasonally and eating those foods will, will be better for us at the end of the day for our health as well. And there's something to be said for that. So that, that's why I would like to encourage of, of our listeners. Joseph, when you're at home in between your travels and you're like making breakfast for yourself, do you just put some crickets on your eggs? Like what, what's your breakfast routine? <laughs> um, breakfast really depends, but I have, uh, I have a lot of fermented insect products and I actually love eating oatmeal with my savory uh, kimchi, insect kimchi that I make. And sometimes I'll add eggs to that. I make uh, avocado toast and add crickets, mealworms, grasshoppers, black ants, gusano salt, depending on the mood I'm feeling in. Um, I will scramble up some eggs and, and add some insects um, to the mix. 
it, it really depends. I mean, I literally try to incorporate insects to as many meals as I can, because if I don't continuously eat it and learn from it, you know, that, I mean, the more I do, the more I can learn. Um, you know, the fact that there are over 2000 species of edible insects with like different flavor profiles and textures and functionality. Um, it, it certainly keeps my wild and curious mind uh, satiated. That seems like a great note to wrap up on here. So we just want to say thank you again for coming on and sharing your time with us today. This has been great. Thank you. Well, thank you guys so much. And I really big love to UW-Madison. I love you guys. And uh, thank you. Bon appétit. For more information on 1050 Bascom, visit polysci.wisc.edu and search for 1050 Bascom. The podcast is edited by Claire Salmi, Fiona Hatch, and Cole Wozniak, and is produced by Amy Gangle. Thanks for listening.